Hi and welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, a podcast brought to you by Cure Media, the leading and award-winning influencer marketing agency for fashion, home and beauty brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about consumer behavior in the digital age and of course all things influencer marketing in right around 15 minutes. In this episode, I have a real beauty and marketing expert with me in the studio, none other than Rebecca Eliasson, Group Head of Advocacy at L'Oreal. Today, we will delve into their winning strategies for maintaining a leading position in the ever-evolving beauty industry, explore the role of data-driven insights, and what it takes to connect with Gen Z. Stay tuned for a masterclass in beauty and marketing. Hi, Rebecca, and welcome to the podcast studio. So before we deep dive into the questions, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do at L'Oreal? Of course. So I've, uh, I've been in marketing now for about eight years. And I started out on the agency side, uh, first with media, then followed by corporate PR, and then what we at L'Oreal call advocacy and uh, creative marketing. So with that said, I mean, I've been part of quite the transformation. I mean, going from traditional media to very digital, from a very PR heavy advocacy to social and creative marketing. So it's been quite the shift that we've seen that everyone knows that's working in this topic. And it's been obviously very exciting. And I think uh, looking back now for the past few years, I can, you know, very confidently say that no one year or position has been like the other, regardless of me, you know, staying within the marketing for the full time. It's like completely different things that have been happening in new positions and challenges. Um, and as for my position now, so I've been at L'Oreal for soon three years. And currently I'm the head of advocacy and influence for the group in the Nordics, uh, which means then that I work across our four divisions and across our plus 30 brands and you know, it's really my job, obviously, to make sure that we stay on top of the competition and that uh, our team are really equipped with, you know, the right skills and the right tools uh, to be able to accelerate and continue to grow. Uh, and I think that also, I mean, obviously, a big part of my role is also the leadership part and to really inspire them and, you know, make sure that they are happy with what they do. And then being the expert on the topic and really, you know, understanding and deep diving into all of the dimensions from, you know, understanding the consumer to looking at the market and the business aspects uh, and also obviously like the creative part and content. So, I mean, today, uh, creative marketing is also, I mean, obviously very intertwined with media and has really accelerated the past, I don't know, one, two years. Uh, which also creates, you know, yet another dimension to account for when it comes to especially like content creation. And I think, you know, the role of someone that works with what we call advocacy and influence has really changed quite a lot the past two years and has become heavily digital. And, you know, it requires these teams and these people within positions to be upskilled in a lot of topic. So it's been a transformational journey. And I think that it will, you know, obviously continue to be so as, you know, the landscape that we're working in is constantly evolving and changing um but it's a good thing it's exciting yeah what a journey what a fun role you have today it sounds like you do a lot of fun things yeah it's very exciting it's a very diverse role and it's uh, really you know you can enter the position from 
a creative angle or from a very technical angle or from a business angle. So you can really look at it and understand a topic like advocacy and influence in a very broad uh, way, which, you know, tells a lot about the consumer and the landscape we're in. So it's very exciting. Yeah. And I love the combination as myself working within the, the creative sphere. When you get like the strategy, the creative part, you get like the best mix yeah, for sure. You get to use the full brain, you know, and it's a, it's a very fulfilling, a very fulfilling uh, topic to be working in, I think. So it's... Yeah, definitely. So, Rebecca, you are uh, undoubtedly aware of the importance of a robust influencer marketing strategy. Could you share some insights into your current approach? Yes. So, I mean, like I said, we've been on uh, quite the journey for just like the past two years and where influencer marketing is obviously a big part of that. And we've, you know, we've been accelerating a lot and shifting the way that we strategize. So, I mean, more than ever, we have, you know, a data and insights first mindset. And obviously our mission is to build brands that the consumers loves and comes back for when they run out. And I think that during COVID-19, as we know, a lot of the budgets uh, were moved to creator marketing and the landscape changed massively, becoming very crowded. And, you know, it was much more difficult to actually have your voice heard on social. And so I think the question of, you know, being relevant as a brand became extremely important. And being relevant is, you know, all about securing that your brand and the content you create actually resonates with the consumer that you're trying to communicate to. So I think one thing is obviously choosing, you know, the right influencer. And another thing is creating the right content with the right messaging. So we've shifted quite a lot, you know, going from the influencer mindset to creators as in the end also it comes down to content. And with that, you know, data insights and content obsession that we really have right now, um, I think a lot of our focus and take on this is really to understand the consumer first. You know, and like, what do the days like everyday look like? And uh, what are their challenges? And, you know, where does our products come and play? So, you know, we also see, I think, a shift uh, in the industry where we've been very like launch and burst driven. And now we're like taking a strategic approach that we're always on. And, you know, we've also have an industry obsession with top tier creators for reach reasons. And now reach is not mainly what we look at, but we look at relevance, you know, achieved by other strategic priorities so it's been quite a shift within quite a short time frame um but um yeah but a lot of data and insights yeah i think that's so interesting and also as you said relevancy and also what the audience want and where your products come in i think it's easy to forget about the customer in the end because marketing is so there's so many areas and channels and there's so many things to have in mind but in the end it's it's the consumers that that are buying your products exactly exactly and if you don't you know listen before you create then there will be gaps and you will not answer the questions that they have so i think it's extremely important and also as it is so crowded and so difficult you know to get through the noise you need to be extremely relevant and that should be your priority um and you also make products for the consumer so i mean you have to listen to them i guess so true <laughs> So L'Oreal's brand portfolio consists, of course, of a lot of brands that are very well known. How, how do you manage to keep a high preference and keep being the first choice when there are so many both new and old beauty brands trying to take market shares every day? 
Yeah. So I think brand preference is a very interesting one. And I think that for us, I mean, brand preference is really, you know, determined by the relationship that a consumer has to your brand in the end. And I mean, that relationship can be a short lived that's built on hype or it can be built over time and, you know, stay relevant more or less throughout the consumer's life. And as you're saying, obviously, we have a lot of brands that have very high awareness and a lot of people have encountered our brands at some point. But, you know, with that said, the consumer's behaviors are constantly changing and, you know, their loyalty is not only earned today by the efficacy of the products, but also by how relevant you are as a brand going back to being relevant. So I think that, you know, regardless if you're a new brand on the market or not, you need, you know, more than ever to stay relevant and listen. And I think that also, you know, especially for like younger generations and, you know, identity is so extremely important. And for my generation, the millennials, we just wanted to fit in, basically. Maybe it's shifted a bit now, but in the beginning, we just wanted to fit in. And I think for Gen Z, it's been, you know, much more about having a clearer personal identity. But regardless, you know, for both these generations, what we have in common is that obviously a part of our identity is determined by the brands that we choose to buy and carry. You know, we take pride in, you know, using natural or responsibly produced products, for example, because, you know, it says something about us and how informed we are. So, you know, to stay relevant, you need to also be ready to, I mean, it sounds cliche, but to run the marathon because, you know, you can succeed in the sprint, but to truly understand how you build brands that stay relevant over time, that's a whole other discipline. And we have the luxury as a group that has, you know, many years under our belts building uh, some of the like, biggest global beauty brands, you know, in the world. We know the art of you staying true to your brand identity at the same time as, you know, continuously identify like new communities and uh, relevant conversations to take part in. And it's really in the end, you know, the game of reinvention without losing what the consumer actually fell in love with in the first place. So I think that, you know, being new or old doesn't really matter because you just, you need to be relevant regardless. So Yeah. That's a, that's a really good advice for, for a lot of brands, because I think many big brands can also be very, very slow while new brands have a um, lower personnel and they can be move more quickly, especially on social media where everything moves day by day or week by week almost. Yeah, definitely. Which is super challenging. And I think that, I mean, a lot of brands, you know, we get very intrigued and excited about jumping on these short-lived trends, but you also need to remember and have a very clear vision of what your brand identity is and what you represent and what you stand for. And regardless of, you know, trends or not, or, you know, going on industry trends as well, not just social trends, it needs to stay true to who you are because otherwise the consumer, you know, they don't notice they're smart today. So they really, yeah, they're really, really educated. Definitely. And, and you talked a bit about this, but the data, which is super important and translating the data into insights and eventually insights into actions is crucial to succeed today. Um, could you share some examples on how you use the data-driven insights that you have uh, to catch attention of your target audience and create those successful campaigns? Yeah, so like, yeah, so like I said, so data is obviously like the foundation of, you know, everything that we do. And not only to ensure like efficiencies, but also 
foremost for all events. And I think that like the insights first mindset that we have is like you're saying, it's crucial to secure that you are also, you know, reflecting and contributing to the important conversations that are actually happening online by the consumers, but also to have and use insights to understand, you know, what the most frequently asked questions are and secure that we are answering those in the content that we create. And I mean, there's so many beauty brands out there and there's new beauty brands popping up, you know, more often than not. And it makes it very difficult for the consumer to choose which one to actually, you know, purchase and commit to. And I think the way that we use insights and this listen first mindset is to make sure that we communicate and, you know, answer their questions in the content. So it's also to help them and educate them, navigate in this jungle of beauty brands. So, you know, we have, before we create any kind of strategy, we listen and we try to understand what does our target audience want? What are they facing right now? Which stage of life are they at? And how can we help them answer their questions and kind of be a support within uh, their journey in life? So I think it's really to, again, take and place the consumer at the heart of everything that we do and not just go from a brand perspective, but 100% from a consumer perspective. Yeah, and, and as you said, answering the, the most frequent asked questions is is also something that is very important, but also very easy to forget. Uh, I really love the, um, the the term edutainment, like that you always should educate around your products. And then there's, of course, different levels on how you want to educate and how heavy you want to go on that, uh, depending on which brand it is. Um, but it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also, you know, about knowing your consumer, especially when it comes to the level of education, you know, this, this very different levels of involvement, and especially within a category like skincare. So you have people that are obsessed with the topic and know everything about the ingredients. And then you have, which is probably the majority who doesn't have as much knowledge, and you cannot talk to these two group of people in the same way. So you really need to be much more specific in your communication today than you've been before uh, and not like we cannot generalize communication and just send the same things out to everyone we have to really customize it and know who we're talking to and adjust according to that yeah Great. yeah yeah definitely we see we see a, a big difference between you know the more hardcore skincare brands where we uh, you focus heavily on ingredients and skin goals etc and the more simple products for the people that aren't very interested but they want a face cream that they can use in the winter or yeah mm, no exactly exactly so yeah you need to know who you're talking to for sure yeah and one of your brands actually CeraVe has been selected Gen Z's favorite in several surveys how uh, how have you managed to get so close with this audience yeah CeraVe is you know it's such an interesting case and I love the brand and it's really you know, it's it's been around since before social media. So it's, it's, you know, it's been here for ages, but it's brand that has, you know, truly been lifted to, you know, unimaginable highs due to social media agency. And I mean, it wasn't necessarily the plan to target Gen Z, but then we had, you know, the popular skincare creator like Hiram, so I'm talking about the brand on his, you know, YouTube channel. And during COVID-19, it kind of, spiraled and i think you know survey is a brand that is obviously quite affordable but it also just does what it promises and it has such a clear messaging you know with 
Uh, there's ceramides, there are developer dermatologists, it's, you know, it has particular skin, etc. So it's just, it's very easy for the consumer to understand it. And I think, you know, as the price point is fairly low, it's also easy to just get your hands on and, you know, try it. And once, you know, a lot of people try it, you're hooked. So I was literally at a pharmacy yesterday and it was so funny because I knew I was going to have this interview with you, but there was this young girl, like she couldn't have been older than like 11. And she was, you know, showing her mom how to apply the foaming uh, cleanser and, you know, what it does and that it protects your skin. And, you know, if an 11 year old knows how and why it's used a product, we have really succeeded in something here. And I think that, you know, to stay in someone's bathroom and going back to what we said earlier, you need to, you know, continue to work with relevant creators and create content that inspires and educates. So, you know, you know, people, I think people think that we were very intentional when we target Gen Z to build our brand, but Gen Z really chose us. And I think the relationship then that we have to this generation is very authentic and quite unique because, yeah, it was not us targeting. It was them coming to us. And then we just built on that and we, adjusted our communication again and you know our tone of voice and our content to this uh, generation and community it's a very yeah. cool story yeah definitely and an 11 year old that's super that's very cool it was so cute i, I wanted to yeah. go up to her but i thought it was a bit weird so but it was super <laughs> cool <laughs> yeah very skilled uh, skincare yeah. um kid um so as we mentioned earlier, the social media environment is changing very quickly and big brands often struggle to keep pace with the trends, of course, because they move super fast and especially on TikTok. How how do you work with creating, you know, an environment that encourages both creativity and innovation to keep your content relevant for your audiences? Yeah, and I think that you know, in the end, regardless of what we do, it comes down to the right people. And I think that it has always been a huge focus for us. And, you know, we really try to make sure that we have the right structures internally to create room for this creativity and uh, agility, really. Because, I mean, per nature, I think that people that work with social media and what we call the blockers and influence that are built on content are more or less creative people. And we are driven by these fast-paced, you know, ever-changing environments of social where there's literally no limits to creativity. So, you know, a lot of credit goes to them and to the drive that they have. And I think that obviously from my end, it's really about, you know, inspiring and continue to encourage this creativity. And then when it comes to, you know, the work that we do with creators, it's also just, you know, letting go of control a bit. And because all creators are driven by creativity. And I think that depending on, you know, what their inspiration point are, we also need to allow them to do what they're best at. And I think that in the past, a lot of brands, we've been very specific and quite, you know, strict on how we want our brand to be uh, perceived and what kind of images or tone of voice that we want us to have. And we still, you know, need to protect that, but it's also important to let the creators continue to be creative and to trust that, the content that they have uh, on their platforms is really the content that their uh, following is, you know, resonating with. And we need to rely on that. And, you know, we hire them to be content creators. And uh, yeah, I think we inspire each other. And also because obviously we have a lot of brand in the group, uh, we uh, inspired by each other every day and what other brands within this company does. So yeah, 
both internally and externally. But I think we, yeah, we feed each other a lot. Yeah, and that's a great working environment. And I think everyone, you will get the best out of everyone if you have that type of environment and you let everyone be creative and innovate, innovative. Definitely. And I also think that there's been a big shift, obviously, working with creators and also, you know, letting them really be a part of shaping campaigns and, you know, taking them in much earlier in the process to really also, you know, utilize their skills much more. And that has truly been also a game changer for us to allow that and open up our doors and take them in as partners and not only as, you know, content creators. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the end, they are the ones that your audiences follow and love and trust. So that's, uh, I think that's a great move. So if you have, let's say you have a big trend that is going on on TikTok, how do you identify it and how do you decide if it's a relevant trend to jump onto? Yeah, so I think the topic of trends are, I mean, obviously it's everywhere all the time and, you know, you need to know what trends you're interested in. So you have these short-lived trends and then you have the more long-lived ones that are really shaping the culture online. So And obviously, you will not be able to jump on every single trend. You know, there's a new trend every day. And depending on your why, you need to navigate it. And in a very authentic way, utilize it and, you know, create something around it. So for us, you know, we need to ask ourselves a lot, like, why do we need to enter this trend? And why is it important to our brand? Do we just want to, you know, very quickly gain use or, you know, be relevant for a second? But, you know, it's not that simple and i think that also because the level of tolerance right now from the consumers are you know quite low you need to enter trends in a very authentic way so you will not just by jumping on trends per se shift the perception that the consumer have for your brand it's not a quick fix and i think that trends really needs to be an integrated part of your overall brand strategy but i mean with that said there in, very interesting to watch and a lot of things is very universal and you know especially on platforms like tiktok monitoring trends gives you a great understanding of what kind of content that the collective actually wants to see so we use you know social listening tools and we use our platform partners to kind of navigate the jungle of trends and then it in the end comes down to each brand to choose what's relevant for them But for me, again, I think that the trends that really shape the culture are the most interesting ones to watch. And for example, you know, Get Ready With Me, it's a classic now. And we, you know, we see it peaking every now and then because there's this creator who did a twist to it and it just takes on a completely different life. So I think the biggest challenge, obviously, for most companies that use creators to activate trends is, you know, the time spent from identified trend to actual posting. And it requires, you know, us to have built a very strong tribe of creators that's, you know, on demand and can kind of help us realize these trends within this very short time span that it requires. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting what you said, that there's different types of trends. Uh, you have the long lived, you have the ones that live for a couple of months, and then you have the ones that are super short. So like Get Red With Me, it's like the root of a tree and then all the you can find all the different versions of it um, just growing from from that base. Exactly. And it's really the power of communities uh, and the power of making something your own. Uh, and, you know, social is all about that. So, yeah, it's, it's super cool to watch. 
Yeah. And then you have the Roman Empire trend. Yeah. <laughs> that is very quick. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, it it's was fun. very quick, huh? It was it's not very long lived, but it's you know, it made some noise. So yeah. 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 <laughs> So, Rebecca, last but not least, we, we have a new year ahead of us. Uh, what's one emerging trend that you think that brands and marketers should keep in mind? So, I think this question is, you know, obviously super tricky to answer. But from our point of view, for me, I think that truly like realness and imperfection is going to be something that we'll see a lot more next year. And I think also because every time we see these very polished perfectionist trends coming, setting these very unattainable beauty standards, there's kind of a movement against it. And I think AI is obviously super interesting and for sure here to stay. And emerging AI artists are extremely like inspiring to follow. Uh, and AI as a tool, though, can also be created to create these inhuman beauty standards and this perfectionist side. And with AI comes obviously great responsibility and we as a group are of course very conscious about this and you know we will not use AI for you know creating marketing images of people or whatever and we you know we have in our contracts already in the Nordics that they're not allowed to retouch or use filters on any images for our brands so I think everyone that works within beauty using creators knows the impact we have on the consumers and how we shape what they see on social and especially as, as a big group, you know, with very large global brands, we can decide and contribute to what we want social media to look like. And for us, realness is something that we are kind of craving even more. And for sure, we'll see uh, a lot of next year, I think. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I totally agree with that movement. And I think it's definitely the right way uh, to go for both brands and, and people online. Definitely. I agree. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, Rebecca. It was so fun to have you here. Thank you for having me. It was very nice speaking to you. This brings us to the end of another episode of Influencer Marketing Talks. If you want to continue staying up to date on our weekly podcast episodes, influencer marketing content and what's up on the consumer marketing scene, make sure you follow us on our social media platforms at Media. Also, to not miss another episode of the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button.